0: Um, anybody ever dealt with friendships that were difficult? Just a couple of you. The rest of you can leave. Um, we'll we'll stay. Uh, you cannot be me first if you're going to be a friend, right? If you want to have friends, you've got to be a friend. And so we're going to look at a little bit about how you connect with other human beings. And to get us started, we've got some table discussion that we're going to do. You uh, should have some questions in the center of your table somewhere, just a little piece of paper, about a third a sheet of paper. Do discussion one. Discussion one. And there's one question in there where you're supposed to tabulate your table. And I need that number when you get finished. So ready, set, go. Answer the questions. Discuss at your table. I did it again. My fault. Sorry, Jeff.
1: Here's another set. Here's another set.
0: Now, did you total your table? I want a total from your table of the number of dumps. Number of times you've dumped somebody. Because we are going to give out the Big Dumper Award to a table.
1: You broke up. It's in dealing with relationships. Does it count what? Ah, okay. All right, let's see what we got. Let's let's
0: see what kind of uh, relationship uh, Folks we have
1: here. So we're gonna we're gonna
0: find out the totals. Find out the totals. All right, how many how many times have y'all dumped somebody in your life? Just a rough estimate. Twelve. Twelve for the table?
1: It's the men. Men only. only.
0: The women never dumped anybody? Wow, the men only. Okay, I was gonna say twelve is many, but if that's between the men, okay, okay. We got some some over there. What do we got over here? Eighty-four. Fifteen? 50, I was going, okay, wait a minute, somebody's lying here, I I know some of y'all, 50, okay, wow,
1: 84,
0: holy mackerel, 84, we might just, I don't think, has anybody beat 84, how many y'all get, 20, we got a lot of long term folks or something back there, okay, 3, what about this table, 9, okay, what about y'all, Steve, I think steve got fifty by himself. I'm sorry, man. How many did y'all do? Okay. It's <laughs> gonna be way down because she's not here. Okay, yeah, he's trying to come back. What about y'all? Ten. Eighty-four. That's y'all. Eighty-four. Y'all are the big dumpers. Now
1: also what? The youngest table. The youngest
0: table. Yeah, y'all been getting after it. Okay. Now, I'm not sure. I'm not sure exactly what that means, except that uh, maybe maybe we need to work on.
1: Uh, to me, Mom and Daddy them, to
0: OK, so it's rebellion. It's, uh, we need to work on this table. So now we know. Why is it that whenever we get dumped or we feel isolated or we feel rejected from other people, why is it that we feel pain? I mean, it hurts, doesn't it? But why pain? You know, I've, I've asked that question, and Philip Yancey's written a book called Where's God When It Hurts? And, and the whole book is, is designed to answer that question. Why do we feel pain? Pain is actually a gift from God. Anybody want that gift? <laughs> it's a gift nobody wants. But just think about this logically for a minute. God created us with this mechanism we call pain so that we would know when something's not right. It is actually a warning light. That goes on, on, well, I started say on your dashboard, but most of you ignore those, so we're not, we won't go there. But it's actually telling you that this is not the way that it's supposed to be. Pain is actually a gift from God. If we didn't feel pain, what would happen whenever you stuck your hand into a fire? You'd never pull it back. What would happen to your hand? It would be destroyed. And when we feel pain, even though it's emotional pain, God is telling us. That's something inside. It's a warning light saying, this is not right. Danger, danger. Pay attention because something's not right. And I want you to look at the first time that God saw this little danger light going off. It's in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. God was looking down on, on Adam and Eve and it says, And the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. The only thing in the Garden of Eden that was not good was that man was alone. And so what did God do? God created a woman so that He would have someone to do life with. The reason it hurts when we get dumped is because God created us with a desire to belong to something, to someone. That's why gangs are are so prevalent. If somebody doesn't connect with their family, they'll go find somebody they can connect with. And some folks uh, spend their whole life trying to find folks to connect with. When Janie and I went to Alaska... Uh, on a cruise, we, we got this book and we could read about different things as you're coming down the coastline of Alaska, um, uh, and the United States and Canada. You could read about stuff that was going on. So every day we'd pull out our little book and we'd read about stuff. There was this one remote island in the middle. I'm talking about nowhere. (laughs) You, there are no lights there. There's no electricity, no people. There's just a few animals. Well, we read about this little island in the middle of this big cove, and there was a man who went there to live by himself and raise foxes. Now, you know, maybe he had issues, maybe he dumped 84 people himself, I don't know, but or been dumped 84 times, but he goes out there to live by himself and raise foxes. One time a year, he would hitch a ride with, um, with a, a ship off the coast of Alaska, and he would go to Anchorage, he would sell all his fox skins, he would buy enough supplies for one year, and he would also get the newspapers... The the guy at the store would save the newspapers for one year. When this guy would come in, he would get all his newspapers, all his supplies, go back, hang out with his foxes, read his newspaper on on the correct date, but one year later than the news had happened, and he would wait until the next year and do it all again. And I said, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. That's bizarre. It's not normal. It made me think of this. It is not good for man to be alone. The need to be with others is created in us before we ever leave the womb. And um, a baby has this physiological need to touch, be touched, to connect, to hear another heartbeat. And if they don't get it, they, they develop something called reactive attachment disorder. And they literally spend the rest of their lives trying to find another human being to connect with. God created us with this desire to connect with others. And if God created it, then then it must be an important need and there must be a purpose in it. And sure enough, there is. The Bible is one big story. It's one big book about belonging. It's about a creation that belongs to its creator. And we're going to look at a couple of things to explain that better. In Exodus chapter 19... Moses is on Mount Sinai. If you ever saw the Ten Commandments, Mount Sinai is where all the stuff happens. And um, in the next chapter, uh, Exodus chapter twenty, he's about to get the Ten Commandments, and he's going to give that to the Israelites. But before that, he's going to he's going to uh, meet with God, and God's going to tell him some things. Now, let me just kind of give you a little bit of background several hundred years earlier, God had spoken to Abraham and he said to Abraham, I am making a promise with you. I'm choosing you. I'm making a promise with you that I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the heavens. And through the years, God has protected this nation and he's multiplied them greatly, even in the incredibly difficult circumstances when they were in slavery in Egypt. God has done all of that. He's multiplied. He's kept his promise. But even though he'd spoken identity to Abraham and said, You are my chosen person, and I will make your family into a great nation. He's never gathered the whole nation and spoken anything to them about their identity. He's never told them who they were to him. And so he's about to do that. He brings Moses up to the mountain and he says in chapter 19, the Lord God called out to him from the mountain and said, give these instructions to the descendants of Jacob, the people of Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I brought you to myself and carried you on eagle's wings. Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will uh, be my own special treasure from among the nations of the earth for all the earth belongs to me and you will be to me a kingdom of priests, my holy nation. Give this message to the Israelites. So, so what God says is Moses, I'm giving you this message. Go speak this to the entire nation. I want you to tell them two things. I want you to tell them that uh, they are my special treasure and they're a kingdom of priests. Now we're going to fast forward to the new Testament thousands of years later. In the New Testament, Jesus has already died and been resurrected, and this new thing is starting, and it's called the church. It never been called before, never been established before. The church was established in the New Testament times. And in the Old Testament, the nation Israel was the only... The only nation chosen. But in the New Testament, it's not just the Israelites, but the Gentiles are being included as well. And nobody knows. It's blowing everybody's mind. The Gentiles are included? Wow, no way. But God had said to Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. That includes Israelites and Gentiles, because Gentile is anybody that's not an Israelite. And so they're being included. And and Peter, one of the guys chosen to do this church thing and, and to start the church movement, he's about to give instructions on how you do church. Right before he does that, he says something interesting in 1 Peter 2, 9. You are a chosen people. You are a kingdom of priests, God's holy nation, his very own possession. This is so you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Now, I want you just to remember that we're going to come back to darkness and light. That's a big thing, and we're going to come back to that in just a minute. But I want you to see the words that he used, kingdom of priests and God's own possession, Peter didn't choose these words haphazardly. He knows his history. He knows the history of his people. He knows that thousands of years earlier, God had spoken identity over his people and that identity had not changed. When the church was established, he said, you gotta know two things. You gotta know that you are God's treasured possession and you are a kingdom of priests. So in the Old Testament, very first thing that happened in, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were created to belong. You read through the old pages of the Old Testament, people were created to belong. You read through the pages of the New Testament, people were created to belong. In 2005, guess what? You were created to belong. God created you, formed you to be a part of His family. And God wants us to know uh, who we are and what we are to do. So there's two things. This is on your list, God. Two things that cannot be separated here. The first thing is identity. First thing that cannot be separated is identity. Who you are. God is imparting identity to the people. He says, if you are a follower of mine, you're part of my family. You are my treasured possession. When you know who uh, you belong to, you can understand who you are. You find a child who is closely connected to their parents. And they have a strong sense of worth and value in this world. But you find, conversely, on the other side, you find a child who is not connected to their parents. They do not know who they are. And they spend their whole life trying to find themselves and trying to connect with other human beings. God wants us to know who we are, but he wants us to know more than who we are. He wants us to know what we are to do. So this is the second thing you can't separate identity. And second thing is vocation. Vocation. God tells us what we are to do. He says we are a kingdom of what? Priests. Priesthood is a vocation. It comes from the word that we get our, our term work from. It's active, requires participation. God says, I created you to be my people, to be be connected through a common heritage, and that's that you have the same dad. There are two other Washburns in in, uh, the state of Texas who have the same father that I do. We are connected because we have the same Father. But there are thousands, literally thousands of people who are connected to the same spiritual Father that I have. And that is God. And so when you know who you're connected to, it means a lot. But God says, not only are you connected, I have stuff for you to do. And I know that you cannot do life alone. You can't get this stuff accomplished by yourselves. You see, Jesus called the church the bride of Christ. Paul described the church as the body of Christ. Now, I want you to get this. We are the body of Christ. I'm not the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ together, not the individual of Christ. Um, I'm not the bride. You're not the bride. We are the bride only in connection with other Christians, every other Christian alive today, every other Christian in the time of history. We are the bride of Christ. So the Bible knows no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. Look at Ephesians 2.19. You are members of God's very own family and you belong. I want you to circle those words. You belong. Because God is telling us, you belong in God's household with every other Christian. We did a a series just a few weeks ago called uh, The Table. And basically we were saying that the church is the table where the hungry come to get fed. You need to be fed from God's Word. But you will never grow to maturity if all you do is come and you sit idly and passively in a worship service. You will not grow to maturity. God didn't design things that way. You need Full participation in the local church in order to develop your spiritual muscles. Ephesians 4.16 says, As each part, each part is you. If you're a Christian, that's describing you. Each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow. So what's the result? The whole body will be healthy and growing and full of love. You want to know why most churches are not healthy and growing and full of love? It's because too many people are sitting on their backsides doing nothing, coming once a week, never connecting with other people. You do not grow to spiritual maturity that way. And we said in, in the, the table series that it takes diet and exercise in order to grow. You've got to have good food and you've got to exercise. So as we push away from the table and we dis- discover what God has created us to do, we begin to exercise. We begin to serve others. The body gets stronger, more healthy. We reach out to more people. More people come in. It's just this never-ending cycle as, as we do what God has created us to do. You see, if you're a Christian, you have a job to do that no one else can do. And in the New Testament, there are over 51 another's and each other's that we are commanded to do. Things like we're told to love each other, pray for each other, encourage each other, greet each other, serve each other, teach each other, admonish each other, accept each other, honor each other, bear each other's burdens, forgive each other, submit to each other, and be devoted to each other. These are your family responsibilities that God expects you to do. And so my question to you is, who are you doing them with? You see, it's... People are only fooling themselves if they say, I am a devoted Christian, but I don't attend any church because God says only in cooperation with other people do you get my job done and do you grow like I want you to grow. Now, if you say, well, I'm, I'm a dedicated Christian, then my question becomes to you: dedicated to whom if you're not part of a local body, who, to whom are you dedicated? You see, it would be like this. It'd be like you coming to me and saying, Doug, I like you, but I hate your wife. I hate your bride. And I'm like, well, hit the road because I'm not getting rid of her. That's what we do when we say to God, oh, God, I love you, but I can't stand the church. The church is the bride of Christ. You're going to go tell somebody I hate your bride? You're not going to have good fellowship with them. Or, you know, I was thinking about this and Wes, there you go. I saw you. I actually thought of you, Wes, the other day. Can, if I go to Wes and I go, Wes, man, you know, I can hang out with your mind, but your body, man, needs some work. Laughter. What is Wes going to say to me? No, man, this was the example. It's not how I feel. This is just the example. Okay. But <laughs> can you imagine saying that to somebody, you know, man, if I didn't have to look at you, I could hang out in the same room with you. No, we are the body of Christ. We're the bride of Christ. Do not tell me that you are in love with God if you hate his body and you hate his bride and you don't want to hang out with him. That, that is not logical. You see, we need the the Bible in order to grow, but we need more than the Bible to grow. We need other Christians. We need other believers. Now, it may seem that it's easier to be this wonderful Christian when nobody else is around. (laughs) Because then you're not tempted to get mad. You're not tempted to say anything, to do things. But that's a false, untested Christianity. Real Christianity, real Christian maturity shows up in relationships. Ow. (laughs) Ow. Because you think about it. How many times do we fail in relationships? If that's a measure of my maturity, oh man, how many times have I screwed up? (laughs) To whom do you belong? If an Israelite was asked that in the Old Testament, they would never give their first and last name. What they would do is they would identify themselves this way. They would start off, they'd say, I am of the tribe. And just for an example, I'm of the tribe of Judah. And then say, I'm of the clan of Judah. Of Zerah, I'm of the family of Zimri, and I'm the son of Carmi. They knew exactly their heritage, to whom they belonged, and it determined their outlook and, and the things that they did in life. And today, as Christians, we belong to this universal body of Christ, every Christian who's ever lived. But here in, in in Palestine, we also have a group of believers called New Life Community Church. But there's also a smaller group that we call Home Teams. That's our small group Bible studies that meet in homes. And, and why do we emphasize home teams? Well, because you can worship in a crowd, but you cannot fellowship in a crowd. Um, worship helps you focus on God. Fellowship helps you face life, life's problems. Anybody need to, to face life's problems? Fellowship helps you do that, and that's why we, we um, emphasize small groups. The body of Christ, like your own body, um, is made up of many, sm- many cells, not smells. <laughs> Although sometimes it's made up of smells, too. That's not a good thing. Um, When life change happens in your body, like weight loss or when you recover from some type of illness, you know, some infection, it happens at the cellular level. Well, it also happens in the church at the cellular level. We believe life change happens in small groups, in home teams, and that's why we emphasize them. Now, if you think of New Life Community Church as a ship... I think we have a picture of a ship here, and this actually looks very much. This is Princess Cruise Lines, and we went on Princess Cruise Lines a couple of times. You think of the church as the ship, but you think of small groups, home teams as the lifeboats. You got that one, as the lifeboat. When when we're on a ship, there were there were 3,000 passengers on our ship that went to Alaska. I can't tell you any of their names. I know my mom and dad were there and you know, when we, when we would eat at night, there'd be several hundred people there, but my mom and dad and Janie and I were at one table and we hung out together. But I can tell you there was a little bit of fellowship when we would go to a a port where you couldn't just dock right next to the city because the, 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 uh, channel wasn't deep enough. Then we would have to tender. You get on one of these things, it's called tender and you get on a boat and you do your little motor into the city when you, you can actually hold like 300 people on these things. It's amazing. You're packed in like sardines. When you get packed in to one of those things, 300 people, you can't help but have a little fellowship. (laughs) You know, this one lady, she wanted us all not only to see her fur coat, she wanted us to touch her fur coat. And I'm, and I'm in my mind, I'm thinking, shut up, man. Because I, I had to listen to this lady for like 35 minutes. We're sitting there because we were the first ones to get on. And I'm like, oh, great day. And she wanted us to know that her husband did this and he did this. And then she showed us this honking diamond, man. Um, she could have she could have bought the ship probably for what that diamond was worth. And I'm like, golly. But then there was another couple on there that my dad was, you know, he's been in a wheelchair and, and he doesn't walk real well. And they helped dad we had a little bit of fellowship in there. We didn't have near as much fellowship on the ship because you can't do that with a big crowd. You have to do that in small groups. And that's why we emphasize um, this, the home teams. Real community, real oneness takes place not in the large gatherings, in the small gatherings. And when we choose to belong, here's the thing. Here's here's what I was thinking about yesterday because there was about, there were eight of us with our children that hung out for about eight hours yesterday. We cooked food and we played silly games. When you choose to belong to a group the space in between you shrinks. Somehow, hanging out with others, doing life together, God begins to fill the space between you and He begins to draw you closer and closer together. And that's a sweet place to be, is to have folks that you can fellowship with. Um, Now, let me throw out a big caution here. When we do small groups, intimacy is not the goal. That's a self-serving purpose. What we want to do is what God's called us to do. That's his mission. As we do the mission together, as we do God's work, as we're a kingdom of priests, then as we're doing the work, God begins to draw us together, and that becomes the goal. Um, Now, real quickly, table discussion again. You've got uh, table discussion two there. It's time to go through your second set of questions before we move on to how you build true fellowship, true friendships. Go ahead. Now, Wes's question, I included it, was, do you still do sleepovers with your best friend? Anybody still do that? Okay. One. Why not? Oh, uh, Nathan, okay. But you're not married yet. Once you get married, things change, man. Things change because now your best friend is your spouse, and you do sleepovers every night. Now, why are you not still... How many of you are still best friends with your very first best friend? Okay, all are young. <laughs> we got some, okay. So the rest of, us, rest of us aren't. Why? What happens? Life. Life happens. Distance. My best friend from high school lives in, in Leveland. He's a high school baseball coach, and Leveland's kind of far from here. I mean, we hang out with him once every two years. <laughs> it's kind of hard to, to remain best friends in that situation. You've got to do life together. Well, let's talk about this real quickly. What does it take to build real friendship, real community, to do life together. Number one, it takes honesty. Philip Yancey tells a story of a man in his church that can't help comparing being late to church to being late for his regular Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. Here's what he said. When he's late for church, he says, he has the distinct feeling from everyone around him that he's not as responsible as they are or he would get to church on time. But when he's late for his AA meeting... Everything stops. The people jump up. They run and hug him and tell him how glad they are that he's there because they are so glad that his need for them overcame his need for alcohol. What's the difference? Honesty. Being truthful. The whole truth. The people who get to church on time may have gotten that one thing right, but what else has gone wrong in their lives even that day? And they may have just as many needs. No, not may have. They have just as many needs as the person who's dealing with alcohol. They're just not being real honest and upfront about it. We put on masks when we go to church when we ought to be taking them off. Fellowship isn't going to mean anything if we don't tell the whole truth about ourselves. Real fellowship means stepping from the darkness into light. Um, And that's what the Bible says. In first John one seven, if we walk in the light as he God is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son purifies us from all sin. The world thinks that intimacy occurs in the dark, but God says intimacy occurs in the light in the dark is where we hide our faults and our fears and our failures and our flaws. But in the light, we let those things be made known. And as we hear the struggles of other people, it begins to pull us together because we realize we are not alone. Other people screw up. Other people hurt. Other people are going through the same things that I'm going through. And it makes a difference when you got somebody to walk with you through life. Um, But isn't that scary? Isn't that scary, admitting my faults to somebody else? You bet it is. Then why would anybody want to do it? Because it's the only way to emotional health and spiritual well being. Did you know that? Paul Turnier, a Swiss physician, was asked, "Um, how do you help your patients get rid of your fears? And he says, I don't. Everything in in life that's worthwhile is scary. Choosing a school, choosing a career, getting married, having kids, all those things are scary. If it's not fearful, it's not worthwhile. And I, I can just think of some of you going... No way, man. You gotta be kidding me. You're telling me I gotta open up and talk about my deepest, darkest secrets and all that stuff, and that's the only way that, that I'm gonna be helped? Yeah. Because <laughs> when we do that, then we begin, we begin to connect with each other. Why do people go to counseling? <laughs> To tell their deepest, darkest (laughs) secrets. And the reason they do it in counseling is because that person's paid, you know, and you got this uh, doctor-patient confidentiality thing going on. And when you go to counseling, you admit a problem. You talk about how to face that problem. You get tools to, to face that problem. You get encouragement. You get accountability to face the problem. You know what? That sounds exactly like a biblically functioning home team. What do I say to those people?
1: About them. No, you what do I
0: say about them? Nothing.
1: Well, you know. No, I, I,
0: confidentiality is a big thing in our small groups, but you have to choose to be accountable. You have to choose to open up. If you don't choose to open up, there's nothing my home team can do for you. That's, that's what I say to folks who refuse. If you want to come in and find a bunch of screw-ups just like you, come to my home team because we are filled with them. Come to my church. That's what I tell people. If you're looking for a perfect church, don't come to New Life. Because we're a bunch of screw-ups here. But if you have problems, if, you, if you've got struggles, then come on, man, because we've got them everywhere. And we're not ashamed of them. We're not flaunting our, our sins. What we're doing is we're confessing our faults. And God begins to do healing in your life when you come into the light. We have fellowship, he says, when you admit those things that are in your past. And it says, then the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. James says, confess your sins to one another. And pray for one another so that you may be healed. That's a a biblical thing. There's a second thing that you need in order to um, have true fellowship, true connection. And that's sympathy. Every time you listen to someone and you acknowledge their feelings and you you, uh, encourage them, you are building sympathy. You're building fellowship. One problem that we face is... That a lot of times we're in such a hurry to fix someone. Guys, you ever do this? Your wife is kind of pouring out her heart to you and and you try to fix her. Well, here's what you need to do. And then she just balls harder or throws something at you. That's because she doesn't want you to fix the problem. I mean, there is so much peace and harmony in in my life because Janie now knows. If she's pouring out her heart to me, I'm just sitting there. If she needs to be close, she's on my shoulder. She's crying. My brother told me a long time ago, you don't have to understand. So that gave me freedom. And I just hug her and she cries. And I'm like, oh, you need to cry. Okay, go ahead. I don't have a clue why you're crying. I don't understand needing to cry. But if that helps you, you just go ahead and cry. And then she'll tell me about her problem. And I'll just sit there. And I won't say anything. And then sometimes she'll go, well, what would you do? And I said... You want to know what I would do? And, sh- and she'll say, she- these are code words we've learned. She'll go, tell me what to do to fix it. And I'm like, I can do that because that's my job. I'm a fixer. But there are times when I just have to listen and I bite my tongue because I want to say, well, here's what you need to do. But that's not what she needs me to do. She needs me to listen. When you listen to somebody else and validate their feelings, you are building fellowship. But we try to fix them or we're self-absorbed with our own problems. Self-pity destroys fellowship. When you're focusing on yourself and not someone else, it destroys fellowship. Third thing you need to have true fellowship is mercy. Mercy. Fellowship is a place of grace where mistakes are rubbed out, not rubbed in. And, and I know you've heard this, that the, that the church, Christians, are the only army that shoot their wounded. We're not going to do that here. And we're not going to do that in home teams. We're going to do, by grace, we're going to help you rub those problems out as, as long as you want us to help, as long as you want us to encourage. That's what we're here for. We all need mercy because sometimes we mess up. When a policeman stops you on the road, do you want justice or do you want mercy? Mercy. mercy. <laughs> and, but here's the bad thing. The last three times I've been stopped, I have not asked for mercy. I've just said, man, I am guilty. And the, and the policeman will, will give us a warning. Hannah, my five-year-old, she's like, it doesn't matter if a policeman stops us. He's just going to give us a warning. I'm going, oh, dear God, she can never have a driver's license. She's learned that at five because she's going to be flying everywhere. Real fellowship happens when we learn to offer mercy to others because you want justice when somebody cuts you off. You're like, where's the policeman? He needs justice. You cut somebody else. Sorry, you know. We need to offer it, and we need to receive it when it's offered to us. Second Corinthians 2.7 says, When people sin, you should forgive and comfort them so they won't give up in despair. You cannot have fellowship without forgiveness. Colossians 3.13, God warns us, Never hold grudges, because bitterness and resentment always destroy fellowship. And then the last thing is commitment. The last thing you need is commitment. Have you ever been whitewater rafting? I have here a picture of when I was in Colorado, actually 11 years ago, Janie was pregnant with Caleb. That's how I know when this was. So this is the summer of, of 94. And, uh, if you look closely, you'll see that there are three gentlemen, three men in this picture. And if you look real closely, there's six females now in no picture. Of this trip, this three to four hour trip, no picture that we have. Are any of the females paddles remotely close to the water? But that's a story for another day. We'll, we'll talk about that another time. Um,
1: <laughs>
0: that was that was uh, that I'm not bitter about that, though. Um, <laughs> Because when we got in the boat, see, we were on a mission trip, and we were, we were working with kids that morning, every morning, and this was really the only fun thing we did. We slept in tents in Colorado. We weren't in the mountains. We had to go to, go to the mountains to find, you know, river that was running. We're down in the, in the the National Monument. It's hot. It's stinking hot, and we're sleeping in tents for a week. So we decided to go river rafting one day. June afternoon, it's beautiful. It's, you know, it's about 90 degrees. We get in this boat. We choose to get in the boat. And when you start off whitewater rafting, you know, it's calm. Everybody's just kind of chatting. We had a guide because these were kind of, these were class three rapids and class three can be hairy if you don't know what you're doing. So he, he gives everybody instructions. You know, he says, now the best way is you dig your paddle in when you come to the Whitewater Rapids and you just pull and that keeps us going straight. And he said, and it's a very good thing for us to keep going straight because you don't want to hit things and get tossed out, you know, and all that stuff. When we start, it's so calm, it's so beautiful, the mountains are all over the place, cliffs, you know, we're just having a good time, girls are giggling, you know, splashing, the water is stinking cold, this is bad water. (laughs) I remember by the time I got finished, my feet were numb because being in the front, we were, have, you know, one person's job is to bail the water. Well, you see what the girls were doing in this picture. Um, nobody's bailing. Nobody's paddling. But anyway, I was in, I was knee deep in water like for three hours and, and I literally couldn't walk by the time I got finished because my legs were numb. Anyway, we're going along. It's just beautiful. It's just calm. And then all of a sudden you hear something and, and people start talking louder because, you know, you can't hear and. It's just rumble. It's this thunder going on. And then we come around the corner and you see it and everybody's like, "Ooh!" you know, the, the girls just trip out, man, they're gone. And you find out real quickly what people are made of when, when that happens. Um, people have to ask themselves a few questions when they're coming up to the rapids. The first question is, am I staying or am I bailing? Because it wasn't that far to, you know, to shore. Now, the water was stinking cold, but, you know, sometimes the alternative swimming to shore is better than going through the rapids. Um, had some choices to make. Uh, uh, am I going to stay in the boat or get out? Um, am I going to be active? Am I going to do what I was told to do? Or am I going to be passive? Am I going to be a whiner? Am I going to be dedicated? When the rapids hit, you find out everybody's answer to those questions. The truth comes out in a big fat hurry. Because when you get in the rapids, sometimes the guide will say, paddle on the left. And you're supposed to dig in on the left. Well, if you're on the right, you can't do that. You're just sitting there. Sometimes you're supposed to dig in on the right. Sometimes you're supposed to all paddle at the same time. And so my buddy and I, Irvin, he's sitting over here. And we're just getting after it. The water, it hurts. It's so cold it hurts. But we're just like, come on, man, yeah! And we're digging in and we're going after it. And it wasn't until we got through the rapids, we didn't know that the ladies didn't do anything but hide behind us. But I'm not better about that. Um... (laughs) But when you get in the rapids, it's chaos. It is utter chaos. And then all of a sudden, you're through. And it's calm. And the cool thing is, you're not the same group of people you were when you started in the rapids. People are slapping high fives. Yeah, I'm the baddest whitewater raptor. You know, just having a good time. That was awesome. Even the girls who did nothing, going, yeah, that was cool. I can't wait for that to happen again. And it gets calm. But then all of a sudden, you're celebrating and... Here comes another one. Chaos hits again. And it is chaos and calm and chaos and calm for three stinking hours. But the thing is, each time you go through it, you get a little better at it. You gain a little more confidence. And and I don't know if you've ever seen people when they got out of the rapids at the end of the trip. They're like drowned rats. They do not look like the same people who got on three hours earlier. They have gone through some junk together, and they are having a good time. Tired, worn out, stressed because of all the stuff they've gone through. So what are we you name it, man. <laughs>
1: Except
0: I want an old guy boat. Um. <laughs> I ain't doing that again. <laughs> um. These people are not the same people because they chose to get into the boat together. And, um, you learn some lessons when you get committed to get in the boat and you face the unknown together. Because, you know, you become what you're committed to. You show me your schedule, you show me your checkbook, and I'll show, I'll tell you real quickly what you're committed to. If you're committed to the church and you're committed to Christ, then you will become more like Christ. If you're committed to winning at soccer, you'll become more, hopefully, (laughs) I guess, if you're committed to your job, if you're committed to other things, you will become like that. And um, for most of the people in this boat, intimacy was not the goal. When we got in the boat together, we're like, I hope we can share our deepest feelings. You know, that wasn't going on. For most of the people, when you saw the rapids, it was like, oh, dear God, help me survive. You know, that's what these girls were saying over and over. Their prayer lives went up 100 percent every time we came to a rapids. Um Whatever. I just know who was in the front of the boat and I know who was paddling. They can say what they want. I know the truth. Anyway, here's the deal. When we go through chaos, chaos together, we grow closer. It's the way God designed us. And is your life ever chaotic? Mine is. We've gone through, you know, losing a child. Um, Janie had a miscarriage. And some of my buddies who didn't have a clue about listening or anything like that, you know what they did? I'm carrying uh, Rachel around the the house one day, and I hear a lawnmower. This is like in February. (laughs) I hear a lawnmower. Actually, I hear an army of lawnmowers outside my house. And I look out the window, and my buddies, who don't know anything about hugging me, you know, or patting me, and say, you can talk, I'll listen. They're all on their lawnmowers vacuuming my front yard because it was just covered with leaves. And, uh, my heart swelled up a little bit and ladies came out of the woodwork to just hang out with my wife and hold her. We had at least 60 different ladies that we'd never knew had gone through a miscarriage come and do life with us. We had meals. We, uh, it was incredible. And the chaos of that time, while I didn't like the pain, drew me closer together to other people. Because when you get in the boat, you're going to have calm and you're going to have chaos. And our home teams are the boat. And you're going to have a choice in just a few minutes after we have lunch. You're going to have a choice about whether you're going to get in the boat. And and my desire, my encouragement to you is get in the boat. God expects you to do life with others. He created you to belong. This church expects us to do life. We expect church members to be in a small group, in a home team. Because we grow when we go through chaos together. And life is just a series of chaotic events. Let's pray together. Father, it's my prayer that today, maybe someone understands a little bit better your heart's desire for us to do life together. It is not good for man or for woman to be alone. It's not good for the Washburn family to try to live life alone. It's not good for the Rowland family, the Canadays, the Maldonados. You've called us to do life together. And it really is so much better when we experience life with others. Fill our hearts not only with a desire to connect, God, but with the ability to connect with others. And let us start this journey um, today so that one year from now, instead of three or four small groups, we've got eight or nine or ten or twelve small groups of folks doing life together. And you couldn't pull them apart if you tried. Thank you, God, that not only you gave us the desire to belong, but you have showed us a place to. To belong in your family. And you've given us this deal of calling people out of darkness into light. And when we are honest, and I share (laughs) how dumb I am, and we laugh about how dumb I am, we laugh about how dumb other people are in my group, our hearts are, are drawn closer together. God, let us invest time, let us invest whatever it takes. To build an army of people who can be real with one another. Who are who are in these boats together, reaching out to others who have no one to do life with. We just pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, here's the deal. We're going to dismiss you to go get your kids downstairs. Um, come back up. We'll eat. We'll have a good time. After that, we're going to have a uh, connection. Here's the, Do not be afraid of, of this connection. Because I don't know... we. You talk about chaos. We're just going to kind of throw some things together, um, as far as groups. And we're going to we're going to figure out where the host home is going to be. We're going to figure out things like childcare. It's going to be a lot of fun. And then we're going to figure out your first month of meetings. We meet twice a month, every other week. So we'll figure out when, where, how, all of that stuff. And then we ask you to do it four times. If you hate your group, don't tell them. Well, actually, yeah, tell them. I hate. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> we don't want that honesty. You come tell me and say, man, I'm just not clicking with my group. And I say, we will plug you in another. You can try every group until you find one. Do
1: we have to change?
0: No, you don't have to change. Well, we're, we're, we may. We'll see what happens here in a second. OK, don't be afraid. Fear not, for the Lord is with you. Um, we're going to have a good time. So you're dismissed.